ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد continuing with the book consalafian al jadda during the chapter tariq al khalas wal najah huwa bil ittiba'i wa tark al ibtida' that the mannerism or the methodology to savior and success is by following the quran and the sunnah and the revelation as it has come and leaving and abandoning all types of innovation and newly invented affairs so in this chapter we mentioned last time some of the evidences that a sheikh abdul salam as-suhaimi hafizahullah ta'ala brought from them the ayah in surah al-kaf faman kana yarju liqaa rabbihi falya'mal 'amalan salihan wa la yushrik bi'ibadati rabbihi ahada that whoever desires to meet his lord then let him do the righteous actions and not to commit any type of shirk with his uh, creator with his lord those within this ayah the two conditions are mentioned one of them is the righteous actions amalan salihan and that is muwafiqan li sunnah that is something which is in accordance to the sunnah of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the second condition is sincerity wala yushrik bi ibadati rabbihi ahada that he is not to participate in the worship of allah anyone else and that as we mentioned are the two conditions or the two pillars to any act of worship to be accepted or for it to be accepted al-hafiz ibn kathir mentioned in his tafsir rahimahullah ta'ala wa hadhani ruknal amal al-mutaqabbal la budda an yakuna khalisan lillahi sawaban ala shari'ati rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wasallam he said these two are the pillars these are the two pillars of the accepted actions the actions that are acceptable to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then those two pillars must be present that it is done sincerely for the sake of Allah and it is done in accordance to the sunnah of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam then we mentioned various narrations indicating why that is the case so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the quran al yawma akmaltu lakum dinakum wa atmamtu alaykum ni'mati wa raditu lakum al islam dina that on this day i've completed for you the religion and perfected my blessing upon you and uh, i'm pleased as islam for your religion this indicating that the religion of islam is complete and perfect and that it doesn't have any deficiencies within it or any gaps within it that require to be filled at a later point rather everything has been completed the religion has been sealed with the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the final revelation has fulfilled or been completed in its entirety Therefore it is not possible for any individual to claim that they are going to bring about anything new or that it is possible or permissible to bring about anything new because if they did then it would be a contradiction of these types of evidences if they claimed that there is a new way of being able to worship Allah and it is goodness and we are demonstrating our love for Allah by doing it then that can't be the case because Allah has already told us in the Quran the religion is complete everything we need to know to bring us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we've been taught and everything we need to know to protect us from the fire then we've been taught 
There isn't any possibility for any individual to come along and say now that there are new ways of being able to worship Allah. Remember we said already the principle. When it comes to worship, then the principle is a tawakkuf. You are not allowed to worship unless, or rather you're not allowed to worship in any particular way until you have an evidence that shows you you can worship Allah in that way. So you can't just choose or invent how to worship Allah yourselves. With regards to worship, you cannot do it until you have evidence telling you how to do it. Whereas with the worldly things, it was the opposite. You can do as you please, whatever you want. It doesn't require an evidence as long as there isn't an evidence telling you you're not allowed to do that. So like we mentioned, somebody's going to buy a car. You can buy a red one, you can buy a blue one, you can buy a white one, pick whatever color you want. No one can say to you, well, if you're going to buy the red one or the blue one, then where's your evidence from the Quran and the Sunnah you have to buy blue cars? It's not the case. With worldly affairs, you can do as you please. Until or unless there is an evidence proving and showing that this particular act isn't permissible. Whereas with the religious affairs, then it's not open to you. It's completely closed. You cannot do anything until you have evidence telling you how to do it. So here... It's not possible for any individual to claim that they're going to bring about anything new. And so then we ended up somewhere around about these evidences where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then mentioned, uh, And hold on to the rope of Allah altogether and do not be separated, do not be disunited. And the rope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as the scholars have mentioned, huwa ahdullah. وَهُوَ الْقُرْآنُ وَكَمَا قَالَ الْمُفَسِّرُونَ That is the covenant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is, as many of the scholars of tafsir, those who have explained the Qur'an, they say that the rope of Allah that is being referred to in this ayah is the Qur'an itself. That is the Qur'an, i.e. the revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah is commanding us to hold on to that revelation, hold on to that which has been revealed to us tightly and firmly, and that's... Just the same as the ahadith that we mentioned before, where the Prophet ﷺ said, عَدُّوا عَلَيْهَا بِالنَّوَاجِثِ Bite onto it with your molar teeth. So all of these evidences indicating the importance of clinging onto those evidences and that revelation as it came. Uh, similarly, in this ayah, it says, وَلَا تَفَرَّقُوا And do not be disunited. Meaning, do not uh, fall into these innovative practices and these other types of newly invented affairs that will as a consequence of you practicing them cause difference to occur. Because when the people of innovation, they began to practice things that were not from the pure revelation, then they split away from Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. So every time the people, they bring about something new, they bring about some new activity, some new form of worship as they claim, other types of innovations, then as a consequence of them practicing those innovations, then they are causing the splitting. Because by default, if they are going to practice these innovations, such or to the extent that they are so severe, they may exit themselves from Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. And if they do therefore, then they are splitting away and the others are splitting away. So here it's mentioned, the Shaykh mentions the ayah, وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُوا Whatever the Prophet ﷺ commanded you with, that which he presented to you, then accept that and take that and act upon that. And that which the Prophet ﷺ prohibited you from, then refrain from it and stay away from it. 
And a person or the people, if they were to cling on to that principle, then that's what will unite them. If they were to implement and practice the revelation, the Qur'an and the Sunnah, upon the understanding of the Salaf of this Ummah, in that united way, then that would be unification for them. But because they do not do that, they do not cling on to the revelation from the Qur'an and the Sunnah, as it was revealed to the Prophet ﷺ. And instead, they go away from that, and they divert and distort away from that straight path, and they invent other ways and other things, or they fall into practicing things that the Prophet ﷺ prohibited from. Then as a consequence, there isn't unity. Instead, they are splitting and they are differing. And that's what the scholars, they mention about Ahlul Bid'ah anyway. That Ahlul Bid'ah, from their characteristics, is this plentiful splitting and the distortion to this side and to that side, and one group here, one group there, that's their methodology. Whereas Ahl Sunnah, as we say, Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, that they are united upon this correct methodology. Whereas Ahl Bid'ah, then they are not united upon that. Then the Shaykh says, وَهَذَا شَامِلٌ لِأُصُولِ الدِّينِ وَفُرُوعِهِ الظَّاهِرَ وَالْبَاطِنَ This principle about taking whatever the Prophet ﷺ commanded you with, and staying away from that which he prohibited you from, just like in the hadith, مَا أَمَرْتُكُمْ بِهِ فَأْتُوا بِهِ أو فَأْتُوا مِنْهُ مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ That which I command you with, then do as much as you are able to do. وَمَا نَهَيْتُكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُ And that which I prohibit you from, then leave it. That narration, clear from the Prophet ﷺ, explaining that the commandments that have come, the orders, the rulings from the Prophet ﷺ, then we have to implement them. And those things which the Prophet ﷺ told us to stay away from, then we have to stay away from them. And we mentioned this hadith once before. The hadith says that from the things that I have commanded you with, then do as much as you are able. And as for the things that I have prohibited you from, then stay away from all of them. Why the difference in the terminology? Why did the Prophet ﷺ say that the things which I have commanded you with, then do as many as you are able to do. But the things which I've prohibited, stay away from all of them. Why the difference? Is there some that answered all the... Yeah, but why? Why? Why did he say the things which I've commanded you with, then do as many as you can. As many as you're able to do. But the ones which I've prohibited, all of them stay away from them. Why didn't he say the things which I've commanded you, you have to do all of them as well? Why the difference between the commandments, do as many as you can, as you're able, the prohibitions, all of them stay away from them. Correct. Because leaving the haram, leaving something, leaving something and not doing something doesn't require any effort. Leaving something, not doing something doesn't require any effort. Doing something requires effort. So when you're obliged to do an action or a commandment to fulfill it, that requires effort. It requires maybe money sometimes, it requires physical health sometimes. A person may not have that. A person may not have the wealth the money to be able to do hajj. So, what are we going to say? Is that person a sinner? If all of his life he never had the money to be able to go. He's not a sinner then. He was sick all of his life. He, was never had, he never had the physical health to be able to go and do hajj all his life. Then he's not at fault. In those instances, there may be times when you're not able to fulfill certain commandments, but due to reasons. There may be reasons, legitimate reasons. A person, he gets injured in his leg, for example, he can't stand and pray. He has to sit. Maybe a person gets injured even more than that, he can't even sit. He has to lie down in his bed and pray. Permissible. 
No one's going to say if you're injured to such a degree that you have to lie down and pray, you're sinful. You should be standing up and you can't even stand. So it's permissible there. There may be certain legitimate circumstances where you're not able to do all of the commandments. Fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the best of your ability. Whereas leaving the haram things doesn't require effort. To leave something haram doesn't require effort. You have a bottle of alcohol sitting there and you've been commanded not to drink alcohol. So what do you have to do to not drink it? Nothing. Just don't do anything. Just sit there and you're not doing anything. You won't drink it. It takes effort for you to have to pick it up and drink it. To not drink it, to not uh, drink alcohol, to not get involved in that, then what do you have to do? Nothing. Just don't go near it. Don't do anything. Don't get up from your house and go to the off-license. Don't get up from your house and go to the place where they sell alcohol. Just do nothing. Stay at home sitting down and that's it. You won't be drinking alcohol. You don't have to do anything to stay away from prohibitions. You just don't do them. But whereas actions, they require effort. They require money. They require health. They require different factors for you to be able to do them. And that's why the Prophet said, the commandments, then as many as you're able to do, do them. And maybe sometimes for legitimate reasons, you may not be able to do some of them. But the prohibitions, there's no excuse. Prohibitions, just don't do them. It would take you effort to have to go and do them. So just don't do that effort in the first place. So that is not something that a person can make an excuse and say, no, uh, I couldn't, uh, uh, there was a, there was no, I, had a, I had a legitimate reason for falling into it. It's not the same thing. وَإِنَّمَا جَاءَ بِهِ الرَّسُولُ سَلَّمِ تَعِينُ عَلَى الْعِبَادِ الْأَخْضْ بِهِ وَاتِّبَاعِهِ وَلَا تَحِلُّ مُخَالَفَتُهُ And that which the Prophet ﷺ came with, then it is an obligation upon the slaves that they must take that and they must act upon that. And it is not permissible to go against that. وَأَنَّ نَصَّ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ وسلم عَلَى حُكْمِ شَيْكَ نَصِّ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى And when the Prophet ﷺ, he specifies and clarifies an affair in terms of its ruling, halal and haram, permissible, not permissible. When the Prophet ﷺ declares that, then the declaration of the Prophet ﷺ in the ahadith is the same as the declaration of Allah. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَمَا يَنْتِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحِنْ يُوحَىٰ The Prophet ﷺ doesn't speak from his own desires. That is revelation that comes to him from Allah. So when the Prophet ﷺ says something is halal, something is haram, something is correct, something is not correct in the sunnah, in the ahadith, then that is to be taken completely and accurately. If the hadith is authentic, as we already mentioned, then it is to be taken, whether it is mutawatir, narrated by multiple narrators, or ahad narrated by one or two or three, then if it is authentic, it is taken. لا رخصة لأحد في تركه It is not permissible, there is no excuse for anyone to leave that. The commandments and the prohibitions and the rulings from the Prophet ﷺ, then they must be implemented. وَلَا يَجُوزُ تَقْدِيمُ قَوْلِ أَحَدٍ عَلَى قَوْلِ اللَّهِ And it is not permissible to put forward and to give precedence and priority to the statement of any other individual over the statement of the Prophet ﷺ. And this is a mistake that some people they fall into. You would think, how can that be possible? Who would be silly enough to say that you're telling me the Prophet ﷺ said such and such, but I'm telling you my Imam said such and such instead? You would think, who would be silly enough to say that? Of course, everybody would agree that the Prophet ﷺ, then you have to follow him, not your Imam. But in reality, this is what occurs. Some of the people who are blind followers of certain methodologies, blind followers of certain 
ways or certain schools of thought or certain imams, then they'll say that. You give them the evidence, you give them the proof, this isn't permissible, the evidence is this, that is the hadith, that is the sunnah, this is the ayah. They'll say, no, but my imam said. Al-Imam Abu Hanifa said, or Al-Imam such and such said. So they give precedence to these statements over the evidences that come from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And at times, at times there may be differences which are authentic in terms of, authentic meaning that they all had their uh, ijtihad, they all had their evidences, and they may have come to differing conclusions. That's one thing. But when there is a clear issue, the evidences are there and the proofs are there, then that is what must be taken, not the statement of the scholars. And that's why the Imams, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, Al-Imam Malik, Al-Imam Shafi'i, Al-Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, all of them used to say statements to the effect that if I say something, but you find a hadith which goes against what I'm saying, then forget what I'm saying. Follow the hadith. Throw my statement against the wall and follow the hadith. They all used to say that. Our statements aren't the Qur'an and the Sunnah. This is not our revelation that we are speaking. If we say something and it goes against you find some evidence in the Qur'an and the Sunnah which goes against what we said, then forget what we said. Follow the Qur'an and the Sunnah. So that's what's being mentioned here. Then the Shaykh mentions the ayah from the Qur'an, يَا أَيُّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَطِيعُوا اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ وَلَا تَوَلَّوْا عَنْهُ وَأَنْتُمْ تَسْمَعُونَ That, O oh, you who believe, يَا أَيُّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا And as we've mentioned before many times, the Salaf, they used to say, if you ever hear an ayah that begins with, يَا أَيُّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا O oh, you who believe, then listen to it very carefully, because it's going to be some type of commandment or some type of prohibition. It's going to be an affair of importance, they used to say. So this ayah begins, O oh, you who believe, Ya ayyuhilladhina amanu, Allah wa rasoolah. Obey Allah and His Messenger. Obey Allah and His Messenger. Wala tawallaw anhu. And do not turn your backs to that. Do not shun away from that. Do not turn away from that. I.e. the obedience of Allah and His Messenger. And you are indeed aware of these affairs and you are hearing these affairs. Do not turn away from the evidences when they come to you. وَقَدْ أَمَرَنَ اللَّهُ عِنْدَ التَّنَازُعْ بِالرَّدْءِ إِلَىٰ كِتَابِهِ وَإِلَىٰ سُنَّةِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم. But then what happens if some disagreement occurs? If some disagreement occurs between the Muslims, one person says... The sunnah is you do such and such. Another person says, no, actually, you should be doing such and such. One group says one thing, another group says another thing. Then how do you determine what to do? What is correct? What is wrong? Who is in the right and who is in the wrong? In those affairs, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, when you differ or you debate or you are in uh, argumentation over an affair, then return it back to the Qur'an and the sunnah. Return it back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. يَا أَيُّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَطِيعُوا اللَّهَ وَأَطِيعُوا الرَّسُولُ وَأُولِي الْأَمْرِ مِنْكُمْ O you who believe, uh, obey Allah and obey the Messenger and those in authority over you. Those in authority over you, i.e. the rulers of the countries, the leaders of the countries, listen and obey. And also the scholars, the scholars, the inheritors of the prophets. فَإِن تَنَازَعْتُمْ فِي شَيْءٍ And if you disagree about something, you have some uh, disagreement over an affair, فَرُدُّوهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَالرَّسُولِ Then return that affair back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. I.e. one group says you're supposed to do such and such, another person says no, you're supposed to do such and such. Then take that back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah and have a look at the evidences. What does the Qur'an say you're supposed to do about that? What does the Sunnah say, the Ahadith, about that issue?
فردوه إلى الله والرسول إن كنتم تؤمنون بالله واليوم الآخر if indeed you believe in Allah on the last day ذلك خير وأحسن تأويلا that is better and a better understanding interpretation a better way for you to comprehend these affairs that you return any disagreements any issues back to the evidences of the Quran and the Sunnah and in that way those disputes will come to a conclusion now you hear some of these individuals claiming that the companions used to differ in aqidah Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah the Salafiyun, you hear them saying, the companions never differed in Aqidah, in the usul, in the fundamentals, the foundations, they never differed. So what do we do? Some people sat there on these TV shows and in these other places claiming the companions differed in Aqidah. They used to have differences in Aqidah. The Salaf, they say no, they didn't. So returning back to the Quran and the Sunnah. So you see these people now, they use the example of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being seen by the Prophet and they say, Abbas, uh, Ibn Abbas, he used to say, radiallahu anhu, that the Prophet sallam saw Allah. Aisha radiallahu anha said, whoever says that, he's a liar. So they say, there you go. Aisha radiallahu anha was differing with Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu. And that's an issue of aqidah, isn't it? Seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the narrations are authentic. That Ibn Abbas said, the Prophet sallam saw Allah. Aisha radiallahu anha said, whoever claims that is a liar, authentic, they say, there you go, clear difference in aqidah, seeing Allah. But then, how do we answer it? Like we said, return back to the Quran and the Sunnah. So when we return back to the Quran and the Sunnah, we realize that firstly, the issue isn't an issue from the fundamentals of aqidah. We are talking about the usul, the fundamentals, the basis of this religion, the principles then that issue isn't from the basis or the fundamentals or the principles of Aqidah. It's an issue which is from the branches of Aqidah. Because what is the fundamental and the principle regarding that issue? That Allah will be seen and that we will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment. That is the foundation. That is what the people of innovation disagreed about. As for did the Prophet specifically see Allah on that night, that isn't the core that isn't the foundation of this issue. That is one of the branches of the issue. So that is a branch in any case. On top of that, even if it is a branch, it still isn't a difference of opinion between the companions. Because if a person understood the reality of that issue, then they would know that seeing is two types. Seeing is two types. Even in English, we have seeing as two types. One is physically when you see something with your eyes. And the other one is... Uh, the abstract type of seeing. I say to you, for example, 5 times 5 is 25. Take away 5 is 20. So someone says to me, Ah, I see. See what? Have I written anything anywhere? So what do you see? If someone was to say, when I say to you, 5 times 5 is 25, take away 5 is 20. Someone says, Ah, I see. What do you see? What do you mean? Like I understand, I comprehend person is saying, ah, I understand you, I know what you mean, I understand that, I, I see that, I, I have knowledge of what you're talking about. That's the other type of seeing, even in English we use it like that. And in Arabic it's the same thing. One type of vision is with the eyes, one type of vision is with the heart. Someone when they say, I see, I see, it doesn't mean that they're seeing something with their eyes, it means I understand, I know, in my, I understand, I comprehend. And that's what Ibn Abbas was saying. Now the Prophet ﷺ saw Allah, not the eyesight of the eyes, the vision of the eyes, but rather the vision of the heart. And Aisha radiallahu anha was saying, whoever says 
that the Prophet saw Allah is a liar, meaning whoever says the Prophet saw Allah with the vision of the eyes. Ibn Abbas never said that. He was talking about the heart. So there was no contradiction in the first place. So this is what you do. Whenever you see these people talking about these affairs, bringing about doubts, return them back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and you will see that doubts, they are brushed away, and they fly away with the wind. Qala ibn Kathir, Allah, ibn Kathir said regarding the statement of Allah, and obey Allah, فَاتَّبِعُوا كِتَابَهُ How do you obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Follow the Qur'an. Follow the book, the Qur'an, the revelation as it's been given. وَأَطِيعُ الرَّسُولِ and follow the messenger. How do you do that? A khudu sunnatahu. Take his sunnah. How do you obey the messenger? I.e. take his sunnah. A tabi'u sunnatahu. Follow his sunnah. That's the meaning of obey the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And those in authority over you. A fima amarukum bihi min ta'atillah. La fi ma'asiyatillah. Fa innahu la ta'ata li makhlukin fi ma'asiyatil khaliq. I.e. obey those in authority over you, whether it's the rulers and the leaders in the countries or the scholars, in that which they command you with, if it is within the obedience of Allah. As for them commanding you upon sin, then there is no obedience to the creation if it is sinning to the Creator. So here, فَإِن تَنَازَعَتُمْ فِي شَيْءٍ فَرُدُّوهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَالرَّسُولِ أَيْ إِلَى كِتَابِ اللَّهِ وَسُنَّةِ رَسُولِهِ وَهَذَا أَمْرٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلَّ بِأَنَّ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ تَنَازَعَ النَّاسُ فِيهِ مِنْ أُصُولِ الدِّينِ وَفُرُوعِهِ أَنَّهُ يُرَدُّ الْمُتَنَازَعَ فِيهِ إِلَى الْكِتَابِ وَسُنَّةِ So this is an indication that anything that the creation they differ about from the principles or the branches of the religion, then that disagreement, it is to be returned back to the evidences of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and that's where it will become clear. And there are other ayat with this type of meaning. وَمَا اخْتَلَفْتُمْ فِيهِ مِنْ شَيْءٍ فَحُكْمُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ And that which you differ about in any affair, then the uh, ruling of that is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is Allah that will determine the ruling of that affair. Uh, so what is the ruling in the Qur'an and the Sunnah? Uh, so whatever is found in the Qur'an and the Sunnah in terms of the rulings, and they testify to its authenticity, then that is the truth. Whenever somebody differs or has any agreement, whatever you find in the Qur'an and the Sunnah with evidences being there present, then that is the truth. And the Shaykh says, فَمَاذَا بَعْدَ الْحَقِّ إِلَّا ضلال. So after that truth is there, it is present, it is found, what else can there possibly be beyond that truth other than misguidance? That is the truth that must be followed. وَلِهَذَا قَالَ تَعَالَىٰ And that's why Allah said, إِن كُنْتُمْ تُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ If indeed you believe in Allah on the last day, أَيْ رَدُّ الْفَصْلَ فِي الْخُسُومَاتِ وَالْجَهَالَاتِ إِلَى الْكِتَابِ وَالسُنَّةِ وَمَنْ لَا يَرْجِعْ إِلَيْهَا فِي ذَلِكَ فَلَيْسَ يُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ Meaning that if you have these uh, debates or these disagreements, then return them back to the book and the sunnah, and if you do not, then that is the type of person who does not believe in Allah in the last day. If he wants to uh, solve his disagreements by other than the rulings of the Qur'an and the sunnah, by other than the revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. ثُمَّ إِنَّ اللَّهَ قَدْ ذَمَّ التَّفَرُّقُ وَنَهَا عَنِ الطُّرُقُ وَالْأَسْبَابِ الْمُؤَدِّيَ إِلَيْهِ Then as we mentioned, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dispraised 
splitting and disunification and the methods that lead to that. وَأَنَّهُ مِنْ أَعْظَمِ أَصْبَابِ الْخُذْلَانِ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْعَذَابِ فِي الْآخِرَةِ And this, this unity and disagreement and splitting, it is from the greatest of the reasons for الْخُذْلَانِ Meaning that you are left wandering without understanding. You are left in a state where you're not understanding the affairs. You are left in a state of confusion. You're left in a state of not knowing where the straight path is in this world and in the hereafter with regards to punishment. And that is why Allah mentioned in the Quran, وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ تَفَرَّقُوا وَاخْتَلَفُوا مِن بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَهُمُ الْبَيِّنَاتِ وَأُولَئِكَ لَهُمْ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ Do not be like those who split and they differed after the evidences came to them. Their evidences came to them and then after that, they still split and they differed and they went their own directions and they are the ones who will have a severe punishment. And then the ayat continue, يَوْمَ تَبْيَضُّ وُجُوهُمْ تَسْوَدُّ وُجُوهُ on that day when some of the faces are going to be darkened, blackened, and others are going to be lightened, brightened. And the scholars, they mentioned that is the faces of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah that are going to be brightened and light. Qala ibn Abbas, tabyaddu wujuhu Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. The faces of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, they will be brightened on that day. Wataswaddu wujuhu Ahl al-Bid'i wal-Furqa. And the faces of the people of innovation and splitting and differing, theirs will be darkened and blackened. Uh, then we have the hadith of the sects. قال صلى الله عليه وسلم ألا إن من كان قبلكم من أهل الكتاب افترقوا على اثنتين وسبعين ملة وإن هذه الأمة ستفترق على ثلاث وسبعين ملة اثنتان وسبعون في النار وواحدة في الجنة وهي الجماعة. That this nation, or rather those who came before you from the people of the book, they split up into seventy-two sects, and this nation will split into seventy-three sects. 72 of them in the fire, one of them in paradise, and who are they? Al-Jama'ah, i.e. Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah from the Sahaba, the Salaf, and those who follow them upon that methodology. So the Prophet ﷺ, he informed us that this nation will split into these sects, into 73 different categories. And those categories, the scholars, they spoke about them. Uh, some of them mentioned that maybe... It doesn't specifically mean 73 by number, by the actual exact number. Some of the scholars said maybe it just means a general amount. 70, 75, 100, a generally large amount. But other scholars, they said no, it means the specific 73. And then they differed about how and who those 73 are and how you come to them. Some of the scholars, they used to mention that the origins of all of those 73 are six Al-Murji'ah, etc., Al-Asha'ira, they mention certain groups. But the point being that this hadith mentions they will split into these various sects. Uh, so from the reasons as to why these previous nations, they were destroyed. The previous nations, they were destroyed. From amongst the reasons for that, هُوَ التَّفَرُّقُ وَكَثْرَةُ الْإِخْتِلَافِ it's because of their differing and their disagreements and their plentiful disunity. La Specifically because of their, or especially because of their differing over the revealed books that came to them. The revelations that used to come to them, they would differ and argue about those. They would differ and argue about those. And the Prophet ﷺ, he warned us from that. 
ذروني ما تركتكم فإنما هلك من كان قبلكم بكثرة سؤالهم واختلافهم على أنبيائهم فإذا نهيتكم عن شيء فاجتنبوه وإذا أمرتكم بأمر فأتوا منه ما استطعتم That be warned Indeed those who came before you They were destroyed because of their plentiful questioning And their differing over their prophets So if I warn you from something Prohibit you from something Then refrain from it And if I command you with something Then do what you are able to do from it وَإِنَّ طَرِيقَ الْخَلَاصِ مِنَ الْفُرْقَ وَالْإِخْتِلَافِ So how do you avoid falling into this disunity and disagreements and splitting? هُوَ بِاتِّبَاعِ طَرِيقِ الْفِرْقَةِ النَّاجِيَةِ الْمَنْصُورَةِ وَهِيَ الْجَمَاعَةِ وَهُمُ الَّذِينَ يَسِيرُونَ عَلَى وَفْقِ مَنْهَجِ النَّبْسَ سَلَّمُ وَأَصْحَابِهِ If you want to avoid all of this differing and splitting and this group saying this and that group saying that, then avoid all of that by sticking to these principles. You stick to the Qur'an, the revelation, the speech of Allah. You stick to the authentic sunnah, the narrations of the Prophet ﷺ. And you stick to the understanding of the Sahaba, the Salaf. Cling on to those principles and you will be upon that methodology that the Prophet ﷺ left us with. As for the other individuals, where they bring about their own interpretations, they bring about their own logic and their own intellects, and they say this narration must mean this and that one must mean that, and in reality they don't have any Salaf in that affair, and they are the ones who are going astray. وَلَا يَحِيدُونَ عَنْهُ إِنَّ طَرِيقَ الْخَلَاصِ وَاتِّبَاعِ السَّلَفَ الصَّالِحِ قَوْلًا وَعَمَلًا وَاعْتِقَادًا The methodology for Savior is to stick to the Salaf al-Salih in their statements, in their actions, in their beliefs. وَعَدَمُ مُخَالَفَتِهِمْ أَوْ الشُّذُوذُ عَنْهُمْ And not to, uh, to oppose them or to, uh, to distort away from them in any way to deviate away from the methodology that they were upon. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already told us about that in the Quran too. وَمَن يُشَاقِقِ الرَّسُولَ مِن بَعْدِ مَا تَبَيَّنَ لَهُ الْهُدَىٰ وَيَتَّبِعْ غَيْرَ سَبِيلِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ نُوَلِّهِ مَا تَوَلَّى وَنُسْلِهِ جَهَنَّمْ وَسَاءَتْ مَصِيرًا That those who dispute with the Prophet ﷺ after the evidences have come, and they follow a path other than the path of the uh, Al-Mu'mineen, i.e. the Sahaba, the Salaf, the believers, then we will leave them to that which they go to, and their, result, their, the, their abode will be the Jahannam, and how evil that is as an end result, as an abode. فَاتِّبَاعُ سَبِيلِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَهُمُ الصَّحَابَةِ وَأَتْبَاعُهُمْ مِنَ الْعِمَّ الْمَهْدِيِّينَ بِإِحْسَانِ هُوَ سَبِيلُ النَّجَاهِ So therefore the, the path to success and saviour, is by following the methodology of the mu'mineen. Sabilul mu'mineen, as Allah mentions in the ayah, the path of the believers. And who are the believers? Then that is the companions and the salaf, and those who came after them upon that methodology. So the shaykh then says, we can summarize all of this into three things. Al-i'tisamu bi kitabillahi wa sunnati rasulihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. To cling on to and stick to the Qur'an and the sunnah, of the Messenger ﷺ. That's the first point. Secondly, عدم التفرق والاختلاف في الكتاب والسنة. Not to be disunited and disagreed and splitting over the Quran and the Sunnah, this revelation which has come to you. To be arguing over it and to be debating over it. Not to do it that affair. As the previous nations they did and they were destroyed. And thirdly, أن يكون اتباع الكتاب والسنة مقيدا بفهم صلف الصالح لا بفهم غيرهم. This is the important part. 
Many people, if not all of them, will say to you, we follow the Qur'an, we follow the Sunnah. But like we said, the distinguishing factor is that you then follow the Qur'an and the Sunnah upon the understanding of the Salaf. You have an ayah in the Qur'an, one imam says this, another imam says that, another person comes, tells you this, he tells you that. What does it mean then? Go back to what the Sahaba said. Go back to what the Salaf said about this ayah. They are the ones who are most knowledgeable about these affairs. They are the ones who saw the revelation coming down upon the Prophet wasallam. They are the ones who witnessed that. Not the local imam here or the local imam there. So when they differ and they tell you this and they tell you that, look to what the Sahaba they said on the affair. Look to what they mention in their tafasir, in their explanations of the Qur'an. هَذَا وَإِنَّ مِنْ لَوَازِمِ الْإِتِّبَاعِ And the Shaykh says, from that which is necessitated, if you're going to follow the Qur'an and the Sunnah, then that necessitates by default that you must be leaving innovation. You cannot follow the Qur'an and the Sunnah if you are also following innovation. Following the Qur'an and the Sunnah upon the methodology of the Salaf necessitates that you will then be abandoning and leaving innovation. وَقَدْ تَقَدَّمَ جُمْلَةٌ مِنَ النُّسُوسَ الشَّرْعِيَّةَ الَّتِي تَأْمُرُ بِالْإِتِّبَاعِ وَتُحَذِّرُ مِنَ الْإِبْتِدَاعِ And we've already mentioned some of the narrations in previous lessons that encourage following the Sharia, the Sunnah, and avoid and abandon bid'ah. And the Shaykh says the Prophet ﷺ has already given glad tidings. Glad tidings to the ones who are able to stick to that methodology pure and clean as it came to the Prophet ﷺ. And that glad tidings is paradise. And there is also a warning to those who do not stick to that clear, pure methodology with the evidences, pure, authentic evidences. Not as we saw. As we saw that one of the styles of the people of innovation is they'll bring you all types of narrations from everywhere. Fabricated narrations, weak narrations, narrated in such and such a book that is not even known by the people. Rather, Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, you will see them upon clarity. Al Bukhari, Muslim, Abu Dawud, Tirmidhi, well known, authentic books with authentic narrations. And they will authenticate the narrations even if some of those books may have narrations that are weak within them. The Prophet mentioned in one narration Kullu ummati yadkhuluna al Jannah illa man aba. All of my people, they will enter paradise except for those who refuse. So then they said to the Prophet ﷺ, Who would possibly refuse? Who would refuse to want to enter into paradise? He said the one, or He said the one who obeys me, Follows the revelation as I've given it to them, the right, the wrong, the obligations, the prohibitions. That's the one who has accepted and will enter paradise. As for the one who goes against that, brings about his own ways of celebration, brings about the birthday, brings about this, brings about that, goes against the commandments as I've given them, against the revelation as I've given it, then that is the one who has refused. He has refused himself entry into paradise. By falling into innovations, by falling into bringing about new affairs from them uh, from their own intellects, that's the meaning of the narration. Uh, and what rejection to the Sunnah is greater than the rejection of the commands of the Prophet and that is how do you reject the commands of the Prophet by bringing about innovation. Every time you bring about an innovation, 
then it is as if you are saying the Prophet ﷺ, he left a deficiency in the religion. He left a hole that we needed to plug up ourselves. He left this blank we had to fill in ourselves. He didn't tell us about celebrating his birthday. So we had to fill in that blank ourselves and celebrate the birthday. That's what you're saying in essence. You're attributing a criticism to the Prophet ﷺ. Qala Ubay ibn Ka'b. عَلَيْكُمْ بِالسَّبِيلِ وَالسُنَّةِ Ubay ibn Ka'b radiyallahu anhu, one of the companions, he says, upon you is to stick to that straight methodology and the sunnah. He says, فَإِنَّهُ لَيْسَ مِنْ عَبْدٍ عَلَى سَبِيلٍ وَسُنَّةِ ذَكَرَ الرَّحْمَانَ فَفَاضَتْ عَيْنَاهِ مِنْ خَشْيَةِ اللَّهِ فَتَمَسُّهُ النَّارُ أَبَدًا He says, there is not a single slave who is upon that methodology and upon that sunnah. And he mentions Ar-Rahman. He remembers and he supplicates to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And his eyes, uh, tears flow from his eyes because of his fear from Allah. He is upon the methodology. He is upon the correct path. He is upon the sunnah. And he remembers and supplicates to Allah. And his eyes, tears flow from them. From his fear of Allah. A person upon those characteristics... Then Ubay ibn Ka'ab says the fire will not touch him. The fire will not touch an individual upon those types of characteristics, upon that straight path, upon the uh, methodology, upon the sunnah. Then the Shaykh concludes this chapter by saying, وَإِنَّ A person who concentrates and looks carefully into the texts of the Qur'an and the sunnah will recognize clearly that innovation is haram. وَمَرْدُودَ عَلَىٰ أَصْحَابِهَا And it is thrown back onto the people who do it. Rejected from them, not accepted. And that is like the narrations we mentioned before. إِيَّاكُمْ وَمُحْدَثَاتِ الْأُمُورِ فَإِنَّ كُلَّ مُحْدَثَةٍ بِدْعَىٰ وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَىٰ Be warned from the newly invented affairs. The newly invented things people bring about. Do this and that's good and you get reward. Do this and that's good and you get reward. They make up all these nights. This particular night, pray all night. If you pray a thousand raka'ah in this night, you get this much reward and that much reward. They make up all these events and all these nights and all these different types of things that you're supposed to do. Those ones, the Prophet ﷺ says, be warned of these newly invented, invented affairs. Because all of these newly invented affairs, they are innovation. And every innovation is a misguidance. And similarly, the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, Whoever innovates anything into this affair of ours which is not from it, then it will be rejected. Rad, rejected, meaning thrown back onto the person who does it, not accepted from him. Therefore, the Shaykh says, All of the innovations in worship and in aqidah are impermissible, they are haram. However, the impermissibility and the haram nature of these innovations differs depending on the type of innovation that it is. Some type of innovation, it might be so severe that it is actually kufr. It is actually clear disbelief. That's how severe some innovation might end up being. Another types of innovation, it might be a means that leads on to shirk. Some people do certain types of innovation. It may not be shirk in itself, but it is something that is leading on to shirk. Something which is a means of getting you to shirk. 
And other types of innovation might be sinning, and they might be types of things which are fisq. Fisq meaning that you're going outside of the obedience of Allah. Fisq, the word itself means al-khuruj, to go outside of something. Al-fasiq is somebody who has gone outside. Gone outside of what? I.e. gone outside of the obedience of Allah. So it's fusuq and uh, fisq means. So that's some types of innovation that they might be fisq, they might be sin, they might be going outside of the obedience of Allah. So it's upon an individual to refrain from all of those types of affairs. Even the ways that lead to that, even those should be avoided. As the Prophet Sallallahu used to teach, and we're going to come to that principle in uh, next lesson inshaAllah, that even the means, the pathway itself, that leads onto something impermissible or leads onto bid'ah, leads onto those types of affairs, you avoid that too. Even though that in of itself may be permissible. For example, visiting the graves at the beginning of Islam. There's a narration. Kuntu qad an ziyaratil qubur. I used to prevent you from visiting the graves. Ala uh, But rather now go and visit them. فَإِنَّهَا تُذَكِّرُكُمْ akhirah. Because indeed they remind you of the hereafter. So initially, when Islam first came about, the revelations they were revealed, when this final religion rather first came about, and the revelations were first revealed, then the people had to remove the shirk out of their hearts that they used to be upon. As the scholars they say, you have to purify the hearts so you can fill it with tawheed. As the, uh, they mention if you go and you want to have a drink of water, and you see that the cup is dirty, what are you going to do first? You're going to wash the cup first before you fill it to drink the water. You wouldn't find a dirty cup and fill it straight away and drink it. So they say the hearts had to be removed. You have to remove the shirk and all the, the incorrect beliefs so that the aqidah and the tawheed can be filled into them. So initially, the Prophet ﷺ used to forbid the companions from going to the graveyards because that could be a means to shirk. Because the people, they used to go to the graveyards, they used to make dua there, etc. So they were prevented. When afterwards the aqidah and tawheed became firm in their hearts, then the Prophet ﷺ said, I used to prevent you, but go. Go to the graveyards. It's good. It reminds you of the hereafter. So that is what the Shaykh mentions at the end of this particular chapter. <coughs> and he mentions that the uh, guidance is in sticking to those clear evidences. The ayah of the Quran: "Who will the anzal alaykum al kitab? Alayk al kitab. Minhu ayatu muhkamat. Hunna ummul kitab wa ukhru mutashabihat. Fa'ama aladina fi qulubihim zayyun fa yatbi'una ma tashabaha minhu." That Allah is the one who has sent upon you this book, the clear revelation. In it are clear ayat, clear ayat, no ambiguity whatsoever. But some of them may be mutashabihat, meaning that they are ambiguous to you from your perspective, that you may view they could have multiple meanings. In that case, the people of innovation, the people of deviancy, what do they do? They take those verses that could have multiple meanings. They may be ambiguous from your perspective, and they take them and put their own meanings and interpretations onto them, <clears throat> when in reality what they should be doing is returning all of those back to the clear-cut ayat in order to understand them. So, the shaykh concludes the chapter by saying, what are the greatest signs of deviation? Firstly, Firstly, 
plentiful splitting and disunity. That is a sign of these people of deviation, that they are splitting and uni disunited and in disagreement in, in plentiful amounts. That's something recognized from the people of innovation. Even now you see it amongst the people, these ones who call themselves Brelvi. You see that they have one masjid and then after a period of time, a section of them splinters away and makes a secondary mosque. And they are slightly different to the first ones. Then afterwards they split away and build another one. They say, we're Brelvi too. But they're different to those ones, they differ with them. And in the end you end up with four or five different ones, they're all Brelvi but they're all differing with each other. That's something which we've realized and seen with our own eyes. They're all upon the same way generally, but they differ about issues and they disagree about this, disagree about that. And they argue amongst themselves and disagree amongst themselves and they split up into further groups. That is something known from the people of deviation. Also, one of their signs is that they follow what is perceived to be ambiguous. What is perceived to be ambiguous. So they'll come to you with a narration and the narration seems to indicate something. And it's possible that narration could mean what they are trying to tell you it means. It's possible. So they'll use those types of evidences, the ones that may be ambiguous to you. They'll say, no, this ayah, it says such and such. This hadith, it says such and such. That means that you can do this or you can do that. And when you look at it, you think, well, actually, the hadith or the ayah, it could mean that. It does have a, it does have a point. So they use these types of evidences. They use the ones which may be ambiguous to you from your perspective, and they'll give their own interpretation of it and attempt to confuse the people in that way. When in reality, those types of evidences, they should understand what they mean by looking at the clear evidences and putting them into context. And as we already mentioned, you're supposed to combine all of the evidences together to understand what something means. Not like the people of innovation, they'll pick out one ayah here, one ayah there, half a hadith here, half a hadith there, and try to make their aqidah and their methodology based upon that. Rather, you combine all of the authentic evidences. That is the second characteristic, that they follow these perceptively ambiguous evidences. The third characteristic is that they follow their desires. They will follow their desires. And that's what we mentioned already, that often with the people of innovation, they decide what their aqidah is going to be. They decide in advance what their position is going to be, what their stance is going to be. Then afterwards they look into the Qur'an and the Sunnah to try to find some evidence to back up the stance which they've already decided upon. So that shows how they are following their desires. Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, we don't take a stance until we find what the evidence is. We see an evidence, we see what the Qur'an and Sunnah tells us, then based upon that, we decide what you're supposed to do. They decide what you're supposed to do in advance, then they look through the Qur'an and the Sunnah to see if they can find some evidence to back them up. So this indicates how they follow their desires. Also, مُعَارَضَةُ sunnah bil Qur'an, They attempt to cause conflict between the Qur'an and the Sunnah. مُعَارَضَةُ sunnah may be going against certain parts of the Sunnah or contradicting the Sunnah by using certain ayat of the Qur'an to make these contradictions. Again, to back up their positions. They might want to negate certain aspects of the Sunnah because it goes against their position. So they will maybe show this contradiction in ayat or evidences or the ayat to the ahadith, etc. to try to prove these types of points of them. Bughd ahlil afar. One of the characteristics is their hatred for the people of basically Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Their hatred for Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, the people of the evidences, the ones who are sticking to the narrations, to the extent they will say to you, 
when you tell them, where's your evidence for this, where's your evidence for that, they begin to mock, they say, why do you always have to have evidence? The answer is, of course, yes. Yes, of course, always you must have evidence. How can you decide what you're going to do in your religion? The revelation from Allah without knowing the evidence for it. This is what the scholars have mentioned from uh, many years, that from the signs of the people of innovation is that they put nicknames onto Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah. They abuse Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah. So you see all of those deviated groups in the names and attributes. They used to refer to Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah with many evil names. They used to say to them, you are Al-Mujassima, for example. They used to say, you people, you give Allah a body. You're claiming Allah is like a body. He's got hands and eyes and legs and feet, etc. But we've already explained, as we mentioned in the previous lessons, we affirm the attributes, but we don't compare Allah to creation whatsoever. So we are not affirming this, what they claim. But this was their evil upon Ahl-Sunnah. You people are mujassima. You claim Allah has a body, etc. All these types of things. Also, tark intihal madhab salaf They abandon following the methodology of the salaf. The understanding of the salaf. Instead, they have their own methodologies. Also from their signs, is that they declare each other to be disbelievers. You find that the groups of innovation, the Jahmiyyah, the Maturidiyya, the Mu'tazila, Sha'ira, etc., etc., those groups, if you read into their books, you'll find that some of them, they used to declare others to be kuffar. They used to say, such and such group believes in this, they are kuffar. That group will say, such and such group is kuffar. So amongst themselves, they used to make takfir of each other. And that's one of their traits. That somebody who doesn't agree with them, they put the label of kuffar upon them. Also, one of their signs is Al-Ijmal fi This one is popular amongst the people now. But they will be very general and vague in issues that require detail. They'll bring an issue to you and explain it to you in a very general and vague way. Which is often what you see some of these individuals doing, these Hizb al-Tahrir al-Muhajirun. They'll bring to you some ayat here, some ahadith there, and say to you, look, generally Allah is saying the one who rules by other than what Allah has revealed, kafir. They'll give you some ayat, some hadith, give you a general vague understanding, therefore that's it, kafir. These rulers are kuffar, can you see the ayah? That's common from them. They can't go into detail. If they begin to go into detail about the understandings of the ayah, the understandings of the hadith, they go into specifics, which means then they have to start bringing in other evidences, then eventually they're going to be found out. When they go into specifics, eventually the truth will unfold. So they leave it vague and general and brief. This ayah means this, this hadith means that. And they give it to the people in that vague way. That is one of their characteristics. Also, to make analogies or examples or... Uh, to make analogies, to give examples that... Meaning, they say if such a... If... if um, if a certain thing, whatever that thing might be, they say, if that's permissible, then surely this must be okay as well. I.e. they use an example from the Qur'an, the Sunnah, and put that example onto other things which can't be done. The example isn't correct. It's a false type of example. And that sometimes is done. They say, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has declared that... Uh, the one who steals his hand is to be chopped off. They say, therefore, as an example, they, they might say, somebody therefore who uh, 
ruins someone's property, then his hand must be chopped off as well. Some other action. You understand the point that they will make examples between things. They'll say if that is the case, and that's in the Quran, the Sunnah, then surely this must be the same thing. And in reality it's not. They're two different things altogether. So they make comparisons between things that cannot be compared. And that's common. The people of innovation and deviance, they'll come along. You say to them, what's your evidence you can do this? They'll say, but isn't it allowed to do such and such? You say, that's, yeah, of course that's allowed. That's in the Quran, that's in the Sunnah. They say, well, if that's allowed, then surely this is allowed too, because it's similar. This is just like that. But when you look into it in reality, they're completely different things. But that's one of their common ways. Because they can't find any clear evidence, an ayah or a hadith. So they'll resort to using these types of tactics. They say such and such, that's halal. So therefore, this must be halal too, because it's similar in that regard. And if you look at it from this perspective, it's similar as well. So therefore, it must be the same thing. And so they try to use these false comparisons to prove their methodology and their uh, method of doing things. And the Shaykh concludes upon uh, a statement of Imam Ahmad. Imam Ahmad said, The majority of the mistakes that the people make, the majority of the mistakes that the people they fall into, is from these two points. Interpretations, false interpretations, incorrect interpretations, and incorrect comparisons. They make false and incorrect comparisons. They say the Quran and the Sunnah says this is haram. That other thing, that's similar to it, so that must be haram too. But in reality, it's completely different. And they aren't comparable. Their comparison doesn't exist, but in their minds, they think it's the same, so they give the same ruling to it. So these false comparisons and these false interpretations, that must be avoided. And that is something that the people of innovation and deviance, they fall into. Whereas Ahl-Sunnah wal Jama'ah, they do not. If comparisons are made, then they are correct and authentic comparisons that can be made. There are certain types of comparisons that can be made, or certain types of deductions that can be clearly made. For example, in the Quran it says, Do not throw yourselves into destruction. Do not, uh, do not destroy yourselves. The ayah says, do not destroy yourselves. So now some of the scholars use that type of ayah to say, smoking is haram. People come along, they say to you, where's the evidence smoking is haram? Where does it tell you in the Quran and the Sunnah? Where's the ayah? Where's the hadith that says smoking is haram? The scholars, they say to you, look, the ayah says, do not destroy yourselves. Is there any doubt amongst anyone with intelligence to tell you, who will say to you that smoking isn't harmful to you? Everybody agrees. Even the companies that sell it, they agree that it harms you and they put the slogans on the packages that this is harmful to your health. Everybody agrees. It's known. It's a fact. Smoking is harmful to your health. No one's going to say that it brings benefit and it's okay and maybe it's not too bad. They all agree, the doctors, the companies who sell it, the people who smoke themselves will tell you, I know it's harmful. So that's agreed, it's harmful to your health, something that destroys your health. So now to use that ayah is completely correct. It's a deduction which is correct. So correct deductions and comparisons are okay. Ahl sunnah wal jama'ah do that. But the problem is when these people come along and they try to make that, they try to expand and make vast these comparisons to the extent that they become false comparisons. They're not even really comparable. The good ones about the beard. The good ones about the beard. The beard? Yeah. So where's the crowns and say it's about the beard? Not the beard. There's, there's a hadith. There's authentic narrations from the Prophet, authentic hadith where he said, Grow the beard. 
in the Quran it tells you to grow the beard in the Quran the ayah says whatever the Prophet tells you then do it yeah, that's, that's my and the Prophet in the hadith told us to grow the beard so therefore in the Quran it tells you to grow the beard that's like the example of Shaykh Uthaymeen the example of the restaurant we mentioned the one about the restaurant when they were having the meal and the, 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 this uh, Christian scholar he came to this Muslim and he said to him you claim the Quran tells you everything where in the Quran does it tell you how to cook this meal you're having this meal. Where, it in the, where does it tell you? Where in the Quran does it tell you how to cook the meal? The Muslim scholar, he said, yes, in the Quran it tells us. He called over the chef and he asked the chef, how do you make the meal? The chef told them. He said, that detail that the chef has given on how to cook this meal, that was told to us in the Quran. How? Ask the people of knowledge if you don't know. So you were asking me, where in the Quran does it tell me how to cook this meal? The Quran told me, ask the people of knowledge if you don't know. So based upon that advice or that evidence from the Quran, to find out how this meal is cooked, I asked the person of knowledge about it, which is the chef in this instance. So they said, there you go, and the Quran told me how to cook this meal. So with that regard, it's not an excuse. Anybody who says to you, I know there's a hadith about it, but where in the Quran does it tell you that? I want the ayah from the Quran. The hadith may be weak, it might be authentic. Say to him, the Quran tells you that. If there's a hadith, then by default, the Quran is telling you about it. Because the Quran says, accept those narrations. Accept that sunnah from the Prophet If it's authentic, then that's to be accepted. The Prophet doesn't speak from his own desires. So we'll conclude upon that point, and next week we'll start with the next chapter, which is some of the fundamentals of the Salafi methodology. What are some of the main points of the Salafi methodology? The main factors that an individual must bear in mind, must understand with regards to implementing and practicing the methodology. Now we've mentioned so much about sticking to the Qur'an and the Sunnah and the understanding of the Salaf. So now it's logical and it's useful to obviously now explain what are those types of things that you should be sticking to from the Qur'an and the Sunnah and the understanding of the Salaf. What are those principles of the methodology of the Salaf? So that inshallah we'll start with next time. The principles of or some of the principles of the Salafi methodology. InshaAllah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.